Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. What does being authentic, positive persuasion, and intangibles have to do with sales? These are steps in the journey to transform from order taker to quota breaker. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. Jason Cutter, the CEO and founder of Cutter Consulting Group, is leading the charge to help sellers move from being that pushy salesperson that everyone avoids to the wise guide capable of enabling and helping buyers using a human-to-human approach. Jason has an incredible story to share from studying marine biology, where he was tagging sharks, to a mission commander, to an author, speaker, trainer, and so much more. So please take a listen and find out what the sales success iceberg and authentic persuasion have to do with becoming that winning salesperson, the quota breaker. So super excited to be here today with Jason Cutter, the CEO and founder of Cutter Consulting Group. Cutter Consulting Group specializes in transforming sales operations into scalable revenue machines that produce predictable results. And Jason's also an author, a speaker, a trainer, a podcast host, and so, so much more. So welcome, Jason, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to unpack your story. Thanks for having me, Rosalind. And I always love the opportunity to help sales and sales operations in any way that I can. Love it. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about your career journey, your backstory, you know, prior to your consulting company and then prior to your authentic persuasion book. The audience (laughs) can't see, but you're wearing your shirt, which is awesome. I love that shirt. It looks really cool. So before your sales career, you actually studied marine biology and I saw that you were also a mission commander. So can you tell us more about your backstory and your journey? So I'll give the shorter version of it. So yeah, my bachelor's degree is in marine biology. I went to UC Santa Cruz. I tagged sharks for years in and around that area, did a lot of shark research. That was kind of the culmination, as I joke about when I uh, you know, speak and do training <laughs> and companies bring me in, is that because of my childhood and my upbringing, I literally chose sharks instead of people as a safer, better way to go with a career. People were way more dangerous <laughs> to me than growing up. People don't believe it, but I was a shy, awkward, bullied, late oh. bloomer. I'm still a late bloomer. I'm still an only child. <laughs> and my, I have two loving, wonderful parents. They're still together to this day. My mom was a banker. 
and finance manager before she retired. My dad was an engineer and program director before he retired. And my mom hates salespeople. <laughs> she likes people who like sell in the right way, but she hates pure self-centered salespeople that use gross tactics. And so I was given that as a, as a, as a feeling such that I didn't want to deal with people. In fact, when I got a job at a restaurant, I didn't even want to wait tables because I didn't want to deal with hungry people. I was like, <laughs> I'll bust tables, but I don't want to deal with, I don't want to talk to anybody. That was my frame of mind. Marine biology didn't work out. You needed more schooling. I didn't know if I wanted to go that route. I ended up at Microsoft for a couple of years doing tech support, realized I don't like computers, but I was good with people and problem solving. Got my first sales job when I was 27 in the mortgage business. With the caveat that it was 2002. So it was the height of the real estate boom or the real estate boom was taking off. And so it was pure order taking. Like it didn't take any skill to, to sell people on buying a house. Like everyone wanted it. And it wasn't until years later when I learned to sell got into sales, sales leadership. I didn't want to, but then I was you know, pushed into management, which we could talk <laughs> about or not. And then I even ran away from sales and sales leadership at one point, worked for a, a private company as a, a civilian contractor for the military, ended up deployed overseas wow. as a mission commander in some, some dirty, <laughs> nasty places with my marine biology degree. Then then realized what I really wanted to do, which was consulting and went to school, got my MBA online, and uh, things kind of led awesome. to this. Well, that's that's incredible backstory. That is a lot, and we could definitely do multiple. We should do a series of <laughs> podcasts to break all of that down, <laughs> for sure. So yeah. let's fast forward a little bit then to Cutter Consulting Group, and which I think you founded about three years ago. So what led you? You kind of you started talking mm -hmm. a little bit about consulting, but what led you to start starting your own company? What was the original vision, I guess, for the business? So. And and this is something I, I'm always learning things about myself and seeing things in a new light, especially the more conversations I have. I realize I am actually more of an operation-minded person than a sales-minded person, meaning I look at a sales team and I see the operations, the systems, the processes. Mm -hmm. How do you scale it, right? If I add X amount of marketing and hire X number of reps, I should get X plus results and then I can just scale and I should get more and more, right? And so I look at it like that versus a sales-minded person, which says, just let me do whatever I want. Don't give me any rules or any structure. Just give me a phone and I'll close some deals and get out of my way, right? That kind of salesperson, when they get into leadership, they think, let me just hire as many people as possible. And if they're good at it, they'll figure it out. But I don't want to like give them structure. Scripts is the, their dirty, dirtiest word in, in their mind. So for me, I'm an operations guy and I realized that and what I loved the most, at one point, I had a role of where I was helping recruit outside affiliate offices, almost franchises. And then I was going to their offices to do training, to help fix what wasn't working, what they weren't doing right that I gave them instructions to do. And I absolutely mm -hmm. loved that for the transformation, like fixing them and training them and being there in person. And so I, I realized that, which is the culmination of or triggered the reason why I went to get my MBA so I could learn more of the business side and all of that. And I realized that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help companies fix, build, transform their sales operation. And then once it's up and running, go help others instead of just being in one place. Because once things are up and running and going smooth, it's not as fun for me. I like to fix things, not just you know run them. And so that led to it. And for a brief period of time, for a few years, I, a friend of mine who I knew, he hired me, basically had me come and I was an internal consultant where I was just fixing and building and we were doing different things. 
And then when that ended, I was like, okay, now's the time to uh, go out on my own. That's, that's awesome. As I always talk about people are either operational people or they're not, right? There's a certain mindset and a certain way that you yeah. approach things, you think about things. And we almost like, always talk about how we always run to the chaos, right? We like to, we like to fix problems. We like to build things from scratch. So we kind of make sense of the chaos. That's amazing. I love that. So let's talk about your business because you use these principles of the sales success iceberg and the authentic persuasion that we've talked about. So maybe we could talk about sales success iceberg first. So what is this iceberg and how does it apply to success in sales? Yeah. So I think when we look at sales, it's really easy for someone to see a sale that happens and the high-fiving, the ringing the bell or the gong, the putting it up on the whiteboard or it's in the gamification platform and there's cheering and there's celebration and maybe a happy hour because somebody closed the deal, right? Depending on the volume. And that's great. And a lot of people, again, going back to pure salespeople where it's like they're selling and they can't always tell you when the next sale is going to happen, how it's going to happen, mm-hmm. why it even happened. They just do it and it just happens. For me, again, if we're talking about a sales team, whether it's a call center with 500 people or a call center with 10 people or any kind of sales team, the sale to me is what you see above the surface of the water if we use mm-hmm. the iceberg analogy, right? And most people know that what you see in the iceberg above the water is 5 to 10% right? That closed deal is one part of it. If you want to replicate that, if you want that to happen consistently and predictably, then you have to make sure that you're aware of the rest of the iceberg and the parts that go into that, which is everything else Mm -hmm. below the surface. And again, most people only see above the surface and say, wow, you closed the deal. That's great. It's like, (laughs) how did that happen? I don't know, but there's an iceberg, right? Um, And so what I focus on and my sales success iceberg is a image I use. And then it's a roadmap when working with companies where there's 24 points underneath the surface that you have to focus on at some level, some systems and processes in so that you have them covered. And some of them are company culture, making sure you have mission, vision, and core values. Some of them are recruiting, HR, lead generation, CRM, technology, you know, some things that everyone's aware of. But if you're not accounting for all of those and working on improving them, all the time, then what happens is you're at what I say is you're just playing sales, right? Like you're, you're out there playing pickup basketball, hoping you're going to win. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. Got it. Got it. I love that. So 24 points below the iceberg. We could even do a whole series on that and dive into that quite a bit. So let's talk about authentic persuasion. I mean, it's on your shirt. It's the name of your sales training course that you teach. And it's also the name of the book. So maybe we start with the book, right? Can you tell me a little bit, you know, tell us a little bit about the book. Would love to really understand, you know, how the book came about, what the premise was behind the book, and probably most importantly, how can it help folks be more successful in sales? Yeah. So the title of the book is Selling with Authentic Persuasion, Transform from Order Taker to Quota Breaker. And many people, when I tell them that, they're like, wow, I love the the, the subtitle more. Like you could have made that the title. And it's, you know, it's a it's a it's a <laughs> coin toss for some people. For me, it was the culmination of the fact that A, I didn't want to be in sales or deal with mm-hmm. people early on in life. I fell into it. I realized I was pretty good at it, but in a different way. I also realized that I have received zero minutes of formal sales training at any company mm-hmm. I've worked at. Everything I, I know is self-taught from books, podcasts, 
videos, training, getting a copy of David Sandler's sales mm-hmm. training that somebody made a copy for me in a three ring binder at one point. And I studied that thing and read through that and tried to figure it out. And so what I do in sales is a result of just figuring it out in a way that's authentic to me, but also is about getting results. And then over the years of running so many sales teams, call centers in the US, outside the US, various countries, seeing what works with consumers, not just works with salespeople who want to make a commission or want to close deals today, but actually works with buyers in any industry. And then also for the company's benefit. So it's actually good sales that you would actually want. That's where it came from. And what I realized was there's a lot of people who started Mm -hmm. like me that were order takers. And an order taker is not a derogatory term, but it's a condition of your selling effectiveness, as I like to put it, which means you're just taking orders. You're not actively moving people forward. Usually, it's one caused by one of two things. One is you were a customer before you went into sales. You experienced some <laughs> gross salesperson who used manipulation and pressure. Mm-hmm. You didn't like that. And or you watched a movie like Boiler Room of Wolf of Wall Street and you said, I don't like that. Then you ended up in sales and said, I promise never to do that to somebody else because of the golden rule. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I would never do that to somebody else because it feels gross. And then you combine that with the second reason is usually not enough training or understanding of mindset and how to be effective at moving someone forward in a way Mm -hmm. that's more effective than the classic strategies. And you get an order taker. And it's usually because they care. They want to help people. They want to be successful. They just don't want to cross the line into what doesn't feel right. Now, what I found is that both of those terms are important. There's a lot of people who are very authentic and care a lot, but then they don't get any results because they're leaning too far on that and hoping that's enough to sell deals for them, right? Then there's other people who focus only on the persuasion Mm -hmm. and aren't very authentic. And we've all experienced those people in sales. And so it's really that combination. And I wrote this book to help people have that framework of first understanding what's authentic for you and what it takes to be successful in sales for you. And then a framework for persuading that then can be applied to any industry. And if you're in sales and you're struggling with sales, getting results consistently, you have good times and bad times, and you don't know why, or you've been in sales for a while and you need a reminder, I have people on all ends of the spectrum that read the book and are like, that was great. This is what I thought was what I was doing right. And this is confirming it. Or thank you for showing me that I don't have to... Mm -hmm you know, use, use pushy closing tactics to trick people into buying. Got it. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about the course, because in your course, there's modules, right? Around being authentic, positive persuasion. And then there's this bucket called intangibles, right? Which seems to take us on this journey, (laughs) right? Through the different steps to really transform the type of um, seller that a person is. Yeah. Is that right? Or like, what is the course about? And how do you see this transformation or journey of a salesperson? Yeah. So the course is really to help people if they're good at online courses, because not everyone is, is go through the book, Mm -hmm. but in more detail and more of that roadmap to really apply it. The big thing for me is to not just let, and I even wrote this in the intro, is don't let, don't buy my book or read my, go get my book if you're not going to actually use it right? I actually have a bunch of things Mm -hmm. in the first chapter, which is like, here's the reasons why not to buy it. 
right? Just like I do in sales. Yeah. Like I want it to be a good fit. I want you to be a customer of life I, for life. I want you to be happy. But literally don't just let it be a shelf help book where you buy it, you read it, you put it on the shelf and then you never use it, right? I want people to transform. I don't want to just sell books and courses. Mm. I want people to be effective. I want them to succeed. And then regarding the intangibles, I think that's really important because the intangibles, especially if you look at it from sports, right? I'm a big NBA fan, basketball fan. The intangibles are the things that don't show up on the stats, but make the difference in winning, Mm -hmm. right? It's the hustle plays, who dives for the basketball and who does this and who's like more aggressive. Those don't show up, but they're important. If you're in sales, sales is so hard. One of the reasons it's so hard is you're up against a very professional opponent. And I don't mean the buyer. I don't mean like their strategies. I mean that survival primal part in everyone's brain that is afraid of danger Mm -hmm. and change and wants to keep them safe. You're up against thousands, Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of years of survival mechanisms that don't want you to change them. And so it's the intangibles that will sway things into your favor when helping someone get unstuck mm-hmm. and moving forward. Got it. Got it. So, so talking about sales, and you kind of touched on this a little bit around, you know, I think we all know that selling has always been one of the <laughs> toughest roles, right? And I think with buyers, right, being, being you know, people like us being more informed, more demanding, right? Selling is getting really difficult. And that's where I think sales coaching, training, you know, enablement, sort of this mindset is no longer just sort of a nice to have, right? It's certainly a must, must, must have. And you probably get a chance to talk to and work with a lot of different organizations. So what do you see revenue leaders really doing right when it comes to sort of the sales training and sales coaching and what do you see them doing wrong? So I, I think really it's the biggest thing is like you said, is that buyers are different. And just to, just to kind of preface this real quick, a lot of people are very focused on what they sell in their industry and the, the category they fall under, whether they're B2C, mm-hmm. they're B2B, they're over the phone, they're door to door, like in person, whatever that might be, it's all the same, right? And people say, well, B2B is so much different and so much harder. And so like, it's all the same. And the reason why is no matter what, you're dealing with a human. It's not B2C or right. B2B, it's H to H. Right. And if you're doing enterprise level sales, you're dealing with a human who has a job and they still have concerns and fears and goals and hopes. It's it's the same fundamentals. Right. Which is why when I train companies, it it matters what they're selling. But at the basic level, it doesn't matter. So with that being said, what I see the revenue leaders and the sales trainers and the people who are focused on it, what is working more effective is to stop doing what sales has always done. Sales, classic sales is about building some rapport, schmoozing with people, reading them, mirroring them, using some NLP, using some tricks, and then talking about themselves how amazing they are, trying to build trust around their logos, their stats, their facts, their features, the benefits, right? It's all about features and benefits. Don't sell this, do this, like talk about this. And the classic model is to just do all of that. And if you throw enough stuff at somebody, at a potential buyer, they'll trust you. And if they like it, they're going to buy. To me, A, that doesn't work. And B, 
that almost makes you an order taker because you're just throwing a bunch of stuff out there hoping that they're going to bite on it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, that's when you battle them over objections and you go hard at them and you offer them discounts at the end of the quarter and you try to bribe them, which is a type of manipulation and you're doing all these things. And so I think the ones that aren't doing it correctly are still playing that classic Mm -hmm. model, thinking that if I'm going to do a demo or a conversation, it's mostly about me. Or if I even ask you questions, I don't care what you say because I'm going to go back to me because I know I'm amazing and I think everyone should want what Mm -hmm. I'm selling, right? And while that might be true, you need a different approach. And so the ones that are doing it right, in my opinion, are adapting to two things. One is the fact that consumers have all the information and knowledge. And if we were on video, you would see holding up my phone because I love doing this, not having it near me, but with 24 hours a day, Mm -hmm. most people now in the country, (laughs) maybe on the planet, have all the world's information within their arm's reach, even while they're sleeping, which everyone knows you shouldn't, but it's still there within arm's reach. And you will leave the house without your wallet or purse. You might leave the house without (laughs) your keys. You'll never leave without your phone, right? And so... The, the the good organizations realize that people aren't seeking knowledge. Yeah. They're not seeking information. Buyers at any level have researched it. You, your company, your product, your service, whatever it is, you have to assume that's the case, even if they don't. What they're looking for is wisdom. They're looking for a guide to help them to make the safe and mm-hmm. best choice, not knowledge, information, facts, features, benefits, figures, That stuff is important. That stuff comes secondary. First thing, they want to know that you can help them and how you can help them, which means you have to make it Mm -hmm. about them, not about yourself, which is completely different. Yep. Yep. All of that resonates with me so much. I think about, you know, I obviously in my role support sales and support go to market. So I see kind of this side of the house, but I'm on the recipient end, right? The receiving end of tons of outreach, right? (laughs) For for all different kinds of technology. (laughs) And it it is about that, right? Because we are much more informed. We have access at our fingertips of all this information. We can talk to our communities, talk to our peers, learn about, you know, learn about technology through all these different avenues. So it is looking for sort of that wisdom, that thought leadership, right? That guidance and sort of that partnership to be able to help us versus information or knowledge as you, as you shared. Um, you know, with this increasing need for sales coaching, sales training, what do you see in terms of the market? Like where do you see, you know, sales training and coaching going in the next maybe 12 months or even the next 24 to 36 months? It's two parts. One is what we were just talking about where it's shifting sellers to understanding more about what the other person wants or needs and what they're really looking for, which is what I do a lot of training when companies hire me, is talking about what it is that they really want. So, you know, more of the wisdom, more of the guidance than anything else. And so that is a huge part is shifting that paradigm for salespeople. It's almost shifting them more like consultative sales instead of just pure, like, I have this info and I'm just going to dump it on you. So that's part of it. I think the other big thing is realizing that no matter what you sell, no matter the age, no matter the demographic, no matter the generation, it doesn't matter. Most people don't want to talk to you on the phone when you call them. (laughs) Most people might not want to do emails when you want them to. Consumers, again, buyers at companies, consumers in their living room, they now at scale are expecting you to meet them where they want to be met 
in a way that they want to be spoken with or or communicated with, right? Now, that being said, I don't think the phone is dead. I don't think the usage of phone to close deals is dead because I Mm -hmm. think it's actually really important because people need that wisdom and that guidance, right? They need the help. However, just putting a list of numbers into a dialer and dialing on it and hoping someone answers or you know, someone fills out a form and you immediately call them, that's great. But then you call them three hours later and you call them tomorrow and then you just give up because your reps are lazy or they moved on. That's not going to work either. So omni-channel, email, chat, SMS, leading to a phone call, not (laughs) trying to sell via SMS, not trying to sell via chat. Like if you have anything of a considered purchase, don't try to sell via email because it's never going to work move them towards a phone call when they're ready and then make sure you have the operations to support that at scale. So your reps, really what you want them to do is focus on the one thing you need them for, which is conversations, phone calls, Mm -hmm. right? And everything else should be supporting that. That's great advice. Really great advice. I love that. As I think about the revenue engine, right? This podcast, I'm always hoping others will be able to learn, right? How to accelerate revenue growth and power that revenue engine. So I think you've shared a lot of really great insight already and some good tips and good advice and good sort of a fr- I'm anxious to get your book and read through it now and learn because I definitely think everything that you're saying really resonates with me. And maybe it's my operations hat on. Maybe it's just having worked with sales so much. Maybe it's having <laughs> bought so much technology. Awesome on that receiving end or all of the above. But what I'd love to learn is like, you know, from your perspective, like if there are the top, you know, maybe two or three things that you think all revenue leaders should be thinking about today to really drive revenue growth, what are those things? I think one of the biggest things is what are you doing as far as cost per acquisition, which a lot of companies aren't necessarily looking at, especially if they're more on the pure sales side and not on the operational minded side. They're thinking, okay, give me this many leads, have me this many reps and I'll call them. But what is the cost going into that? And then how do you mitigate that cost? So I think cost per acquisition, cost per client, cost per customer, depending on you know what acronym you want to use for that. But I think that one's important, especially as you have many different lead marketing channels, right? Whether it's Facebook or maybe it's data or maybe it's, you know, webinars that you're putting on that then's producing leads. Like how do you normalize that? And I think it's really important to focus on that key figure. A lot of people in sales focus on closing percentage, but it's very misleading because sometimes you're comparing apples with oranges. So I think that is really important. Uh, And in fact, one of the things I've developed is a thing called the closing effectiveness score, which helps load balance different campaigns and different costs, and then looking at the closing percentage of each one. So I think that's one. I think the second one, you know, like I said, which is using technology in not in a way that upsets salespeople, but to support salespeople because there's one job you need them to do. And I mentioned a few minutes ago, you need them mm-hmm. to have conversations. The, the, it's, 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 you know, this day and age with the technology that's available, if we haven't replaced salespeople with AI and robots by now, it's because it's too complicated and we still need a human to deal with another confused, scared, messy human and get them to make a decision. If that's the case, as a revenue leader, your focus should be how do I make it so that they're doing phone calls and conversations most of the time yeah. and not other stuff? There's also enough technology nowadays where if they're doing lots of admin and lots of email and lots of 
data entry, you're doing it wrong. And so how do you fill them in so they can do what you still need them to do? So I think that's, that's the second one that I would say. Um, and then I think the, the third thing is, is again, meeting your prospective customers where they are with omni-channel, mm-hmm. like we were just talking about, but not relying on that, using that as a way to facilitate the, co- the, the conversations and then you know moving people forward and meeting them where they want instead of most organizations just feel like everyone should come to them. Kind of look at the Apple store. You want a new Apple I, that comes out, a new iPhone. You have to stand in line. You have to wait there. You go to them. They don't come to you. They don't care about you. They have the market share. They own it, right? A lot of companies mm-hmm. think they're Apple, but they're not. And you need to go to other people. You need to make it easy for your prospective customers to become engaged with you. Yeah, got it. I love that. That's great. Very good advice. Um, I guess maybe let's talk a little bit about, you know, being a CEO and founder, right? Now that you've, you know, kind of been in your own business for quite some time now, are there things that you wish you knew earlier or maybe you would do differently if you could go back and just do it all over again? You know, it's tough to say that. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the, if you could go back and tell yourself or go back and do something different game. I think it's, it's really, you know, the biggest thing is early on is, truly understanding. I understood it pretty, pretty close to the beginning, but it was going to be an evolution no matter what. I actually not too far into running my business and consulting and focusing on it. And one of the challenges I have, a lot of companies feel this same way is I focus on sales teams. Mm. I think I could help any company out there in any industry, in any vertical. And now that I've consulted and people come to me because most of it's relationships and referrals, I've helped a wide range of industries Mm. that I've never worked in, that I've never sold for. And it's great, right? Very Super, super effective in what I do and how I can help them. But in the beginning, it was tough because I was trying to be everything to everybody. Mm. And it was about two years in when I realized, okay, here's really my niche. Here's really my focus. Let me just, you know, consolidate down, focus on one thing, which is that evolution. So I don't know if I would change it because I think that's the 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 growth that I had to go yeah. through. If I were to stop the business and start all over with a fresh slate right now, mm-hmm. it would be totally different because of what I've learned. I'd be like, <laughs> okay, cool. We're going to focus. We're going to pick one niche, one industry, yeah. go. And then the results will come much faster. So that's that's the big thing. I, I But I wouldn't change it because then I wouldn't appreciate what I've got. So... That's right. That's great. That's great. Well, so, so thank you so much for joining me, Jason. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask guests two things. One, what is the one thing about you that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? And I find that sometimes the same thing, it can be the same thing, <laughs> but sometimes they're different, right? So something that others would be surprised to learn about you and something that you really want everyone to know. It's so funny because I feel like when I tell people my background, most of that's surprising, <laughs> both the the shy, awkward kid, because most people, you know, if they're seeing me on stage, they can't imagine that. The marine biology degree and tagging sharks. I mean, you know, again, going back to that, at one point in my life, I was standing as a 20-year-old on a 21-foot boat surrounded by three 18-foot <laughs> oh. great white sharks. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and that was still still better than dealing with people at that point in my life. Right. (laughs) Now that was still the better, the better path in my life than people. And and again, most people wouldn't believe that when I tell people I'm more of an introvert than anything else, 
they don't, they're they, surprised. They, you know, that kind of surprises yeah. people. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it talks about the one thing that everyone, you know, to know about me, I think is that that part, like one of the big things I've learned is all the, the challenges I've gone through, the ups and downs, the, the different careers, the winding path for the longest time that embarrassed me in my own head. Mm. Like I felt ashamed that I didn't go to school, get a degree, <laughs> go get a job, do a thing, get married, have the right number of kids, have a house. Like I, I feel like, I feel like air quotes, I've messed all that up, but I've learned a lot and it's made me who I am such that a, I can empathize with a whole wide yeah. range of people. And I can talk to anybody about anything because I, you know, one point in my life, I was cleaning fish tanks at <laughs> dentist's office in Chinese <laughs> restaurants. So like I've done a ton of stuff. And I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, all of those things, everything I've been through helps me in, in life now. And I wouldn't trade any of that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. The, I don't think any of us have followed that kind of straight path. <laughs> None of us who feel any any sense of success. I think you have to go through that winding path and continue. I feel like I'm still, you know, trying to figure things out. So thank you 100%. so much for joining me today, Jason. It's just been a pleasure to chat with you. I'm so grateful for your time and just learning from you. Thanks for having me, Rosalind. 